Hello and welcome to another episode of TOTS. I'm your host, Ben Gardner. Today on the show, we have Kurt Johnson. He is a venture capitalist, entrepreneur, and author. Kurt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. Good to be here. Absolutely. So tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do. So venture capital is what I'm doing now. Uh, I live in Chicago. Uh, my, uh, I don't know how far back I should go, but if I'm really going back, I was born in India. Uh, my father's Swedish and my mother's Indian, and they met at the Art Institute of Chicago uh, at a time when um, artists weren't really coming from India. And uh, so I was born there and came to the U.S. when I was about six years old and have uh, grown up primarily in uh, the Chicagoland area. And uh, I think the discussion is going to be around, you know, how I got from Evanston to uh, venture capital. Um, and so uh, that's a, a brief background. Yeah. So what do you do in the venture space and, and what company are you part of right now? Sure. I started a company called 11.2 Ventures. And 11.2 Ventures uh, really embodies the vision of, I think, where we are societally, where we are from an asset class, and where we are from a company level. 11.2 kilometers per second is the speed needed to get into orbit from sea level. And when we think about this concept of escape velocity, with all of the different things that are going on in our society, uh, everything from the stock market to the riots to you know this being an election year, there's a lot of things that we are, regardless of which side of the fence you're on, um, are trying to escape from, and a lot of things that we as citizens are trying to get to. And so 11.2 Ventures is a new breed of venture capital it's called a venture builder studio, and we've got some really interesting ways that we are uh, um, that we are investing differently. And so, as a venture builder studio, one of the things that we do is we build our own companies in house. Um, you know, the mythology is that you have an entrepreneur, and he or she goes out and has this like light bulb goes off, and then they go immediately to their garage and start like building something. And then they go out and they like find it and they make a bajillion dollars. Well, the reality is generally something different. Don't get me wrong, like that happens. But the reality is that it takes a team. And what 11.2 Ventures has done is it's essentially built a mesh, a matrix around this idea and takes it to market. And so, um, Traditional venture doesn't really do that, and nor do accelerators or incubators. And so this seems to be kind of that next iteration of where venture is going. So what is the size of 11.2 Ventures right now, and, and what is your goal for that company? Where are you looking for? And I guess the analogy is if, if you're leaving Earth and you've got that, that velocity to take off and to really go somewhere, where are you going? So my compliance team would want to make sure I'm not doing anything and saying anything untoward and, and setting no forward-looking expectations or anything like that. The reality is, in venture, you're looking for 5 to 10x returns, and generally speaking, right? And so when we think of what 11.2 Ventures is going to be, we're looking to raise up to $100 million. And you can do the math from there in terms of what we're looking to uh, to generate in terms of IRR, and 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 for sure exceed that, right? That hundred million or that up to number is going to in in full blown production mode is going to get us between thirty to fifty companies that we've created that we're taking into market, and it'll do that in clean tech, agriculture, life sciences smart manufacturing, and fintech. And in those five categories, you have everything from, and, and, and what we do when we think about escape velocity, right? One of the things that um, used to be really cool, but now is a table stake is artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is now mandatory. If a company isn't 
unless of course it's a certain category, like I'm making, you know, porn or something like that. I might not need an AI enabled, you know, porn stock. But the reality is now anything that is tech has to be, has to have some sort of smart underlying software around it. And, um, and so when we think of those five categories where we have done a lot of research and, and identified that we can really change things up, um, the idea is, well, let's change things up using smart software as the enabler. Yeah. So walk me through the process of an entrepreneur coming to 11.2 Ventures and you guys helping them build what you hope will will gain for everyone five to ten time uh, returns. So when we think of the mythology again, you know, what 11.2 is doing as a venture studio is we're generating our own ideas. We're betting on the horse, not necessarily um, taking ideas from external sources. We've got a team of roughly about 30 executives that we source ideas from. And then we run those ideas through a six stage commercialization process. And at the first stage, it's, you know, the usual questions. Does the idea have market fit? Does anyone care about it? Is it within reach? Can we actually do it? Right. Um, and more importantly, how much is it going to cost? Right. Um, and if it's software enabled, after you've built a lot of software, you kind of get a, a sense of, is it within reach? How much is it going to cost and how soon can we build it so that we can get it out into the market? So we run it through this six stage commercialization process. And what's really interesting about it is the investor. So one of the values of what 11.2 is doing is it's giving the investor um, access to every single stage of that process. Um, and an entry point into the company at 100% equity and zero valuation. These ideas are valued at zero because they haven't done anything yet, right? But then they get through the six-stage process and they've got a terminal value of anywhere between six to 10 million, right? Six to 12 million is, is our target. And so the other thing that 11.2 has done, if you think about venture capital as three general stages, you've got build it, You've got scale it, which is where you see traditional venture playing a lot. And then you have exit it, which is where you start to see investment banking and private equity. Right. Those three stages, yeah, in serial, those three stages take between three to five years. What we're saying is if you do them in serial, welcome to nine to 15 years. If you do them in parallel, however, if you stack them all together on top of each other so you don't build without an exit in mind. Or if you're sensing in the market what the exit market looks like, then you can say, hey, look, there's demand up here. Let's build something towards that. Then you have, arguably, the thesis is a three to six year exit window for each company that's developed. And so when we think about ideation, it's from an investor return perspective, it's ideation with an exit in mind. And we call this our life cycle approach. Sure. And what has 11.2 Ventures put out so far since its uh, inception? What have you guys worked on and, and what are you really passionate about doing uh, in the future? So we have four portfolio companies right now. Um, two are in the market um, and we've had, we've had two offers to date on, on, each of, on two of the four companies. Um, they're all very early stage. And so what's exciting about it is, um, it, what's exciting about it is, you know, usually you think about a company um, having, you know, hundreds of customers. Well, the reality is these, co these companies have tens of customers, right? Again, super early. But to us, even though we've built them and they have what is arguably a, a really good valuation, to an acquirer, that is a discount sale. Right, because a large company's you know twenty million dollar, fifty million dollar budget is big for the entrepreneur, aka eleven point two, but small and less expensive for the company itself. So we've got four companies out there. Uh, one's a travel platform. 
uh, or a time management platform. The other is a business model simulation uh, platform. We've got a Fitbit for vaping, uh, which is really <laughs> interesting. Um, it's, yeah, tell me more about that. Yeah, it's an IoT device and it is uh, uh, an AI that sits on the phone. And so essentially, you're familiar with Juul. Well, the, the typical behavior for a certain demographic is, I'm a smoker, I want to stop smoking. And so I know that, you know, vaping is a little bit easier on my body. And so I want to stop smoking. And so I go to vaping. Well, the, the benefit of smoking, if I can say that, um, is that it's really discreet. You smoke one cigarette or you smoke a pack of cigarettes and you know exactly what you smoked. When you go to vaping, you can burn through a whole cartridge like that. And so there's no quantification or even equivalency between what you're vaping at that time that you're vaping it and what you have smoked. So ultimately, um, we've seen consumption go up a little bit on the vaping. Now, what about though, for those people who are trying to reduce or manage or eliminate their, their smoking habit, what about giving them a way to quantify their intake? And so we've put a cartridge that sits, we put a, an IOT device, an internet of things device, a little, battery with a sensor and a microchip and a radio that sits at that um, between the, the dual cartridge and the stick itself and transmits to the phone. And the app itself has an AI built into it. So not only does it do the usual things like where were you? How often have you been doing it? Are you over your limit? And that sort of thing. But it also looks at these externalities. It looks at triggers. It looks at, you know, every morning at 8 a.m., I seem to vape a lot. Why? Well, because it's raining. I've got my business meeting or my sales meeting. And um, I hate both of them. I hate the rain and I hate my, my meeting. <laughs> and so <laughs> guess what? I'm going to vape, right? Right. And so when you start to look at these triggers, because cognitive theory says that it's, it's not just whatever physical addictions that might be out there. It's, it's the way that we're approaching um, the, the, our life at that particular situation, which creates um, an openness to take on that behavior. So that's what zero is all about. Um, we're in the process of hopefully getting it on the shelf uh, either in Q4 or Q1 uh, this year, but the prototypes are built. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty interesting. Our prototyping shop, um, no one wanted to vape. So they took uh, a kid's raft and they made, you know, the, the little kids air pump. They right. took the air pump and used that as their, um, as their faux vaping, uh, which is very entertaining. Uh, but it works. And, um, and so we're, we're uh, now on our way. Yeah. That's awesome. And is that something that you're passionate about? Like what, how do these projects tie into what you want to do with your life and your career? Sure. You know, I... Um, I read a lot of science fiction as a kid and it always seemed like, it always seemed like we were right at the edge of doing some really cool stuff as I was growing up. And now we are at that edge of doing really cool stuff. I mean, everything from Mars to cars that are all electric, you know, this whole concept of, I watched an old show of Star Trek and, um, one of the guys flips open his communicator. I'm like, dude, <laughs> you don't have a picture on that thing? <laughs> what is that? And, and so we are at this time when travel is inexpensive, when communication is inexpensive, even the fact that we're recording this. I mean, like even five years ago, we wouldn't be able to do this. The bandwidth requirements would have been so massive. And so we're at this point of change. And so... To directly answer your question, one of the things that excites me tremendously is this application of technology to our current way of living that really changes, that really, I hate to use the word disrupts because it's not really trying to be disruptive. What it is is trying to level it up um, in a way that is startling and in a way that gives us, you know, massive returns on time, on user interface, on 
the way that we conduct our life. And so that passion for doing really nerdy things is, is underlying, you know, what 11.2 Ventures is. The other thing is, you know, there's um, the CEO of BlackRock put out, uh, which is one of the largest investment firms in the world, put out a, a, a guidance document, uh, I think it was a year and a half ago, uh, talking about this concept of ESG, environmental, social, and government governance. And the idea is responsible investing. You know, um, 11.2 has the word venture, excuse me, has the word venture in its title. And um, that indicates, you know, sure, we are not a .org, we're a .com. We're out to make a return um, for our investors. But why can't we make the return in the right way? Why can't we do some good and make some money along the way? And so when we think of what the criteria are for 11.2, it's not only AI enabled, it's not only in these five industries, but let's also figure out a way that we can give back to society, whether that's creating a tech incubator or supporting STEM, or actually, as in the case of Zero, giving people a path to manage their relationship with nicotine, right? And so looking at, you know, there's, there's we've, more than ever right now in this time, we've seen activism in a full spectrum. We've seen people pick up a sign and say, this is what I believe in. And we've seen that, that, that magnet um, that draws the attention of society to those particular issues turn into legislation, right? And so you've got these people who operate within the governmental system. And neither of those are my skills. And I want to operate in the business system. And I think the profit motive can be harnessed for societal good. Uh, and so, you know, these companies, I want to be able to get, get them out there and have them do good along the way, right? So that's what is, you know, let's, let's make uh, some really interesting high-tech projects and companies, and then let's, uh, let's do good along the way. Let's give back to society. Let's give people a platform to elevate their lives. Yeah, I think there's there's so much to be said in that as well. Um, and, you know, uh, from my college career, it was always ingrained in us that you're not just supposed to be successful personally. Like you have so much more to give back. So many people have supported you along your personal journey and so many people will support you along your journey. And so to just be in it for yourself doesn't really work with the way that we're trying to live now and the way that we're trying to care for our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers. And so I think whenever you get into a space where you're creating and it's it's a very artistic process and you're trying to make change, it's really, really hard to go wrong when you're going to invent something like, you know, what you guys are doing with Zero where you're trying to monitor, you know, nicotine addiction and things like that. It's really hard to go wrong when you go into something for the good of it. And your return is not necessarily just the only top priority. There's other top priorities involved. And so I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And I think, you know, it also feeds into this idea of social entrepreneurship. You're not just creating for you, you're creating for society as a whole. So I think you know, that's a great trend uh, that I've been seeing. And there's also something to be said for, you know, we have people protesting right now for changes that they want. And that is the, those people's capacity to do. And so when you're looking at you as a human being and what you are best at doing, some of those people are going to be most helpful on the street protesting. Some of those people are going to be most helpful, you know, lobbying for different legislation. And then some of those people are going to be better at creating things that are going to change the world. And so I think when you tie all of that together, it's really about placement. And it's mm -hmm. where are you going to be the most valuable asset for change? And if you can distill that and drill that down through conversations with other people, through, you know, introspection, I think that, again, like you can't go wrong. You you can find where you're going to fit in best to really change the world. Yeah, Ben, those are phenomenal points and a wonderful narrative that you should probably um, 
should probably get into sound bites and get out into the market because <laughs> that's good. and it's such a good articulation of of what's uh, of of the process, right? We're so interconnected. On the one hand, we need to be able to say I. We need to more than ever learn how to self-actualize. Actualize. On the other hand, technology, transportation, communications, even just population has us so close together now that we have to get comfortable with that word too, we, and that interconnectedness, right? And how, how is innovation fueling it? One of the things as we started on 11.2 Ventures that we observed was because of the riskiness in this early stage capital space, deals at, or the flow of capital was being pushed to later and later and bigger and larger deals. And it wasn't getting into innovation. You know, innovation is what hires the majority of these, these, these small startup companies are what hire the majority of Americans. And when you have capital flight out of early stage venture or out of early stage companies, um, then that puts us at risk, I think, longer term. And so one of the macroeconomic trends that we feel good about as we're bringing capital into what is arguably a high risk uh, part of not what is arguably what is absolutely a high risk um, area within venture is that we're bringing that capital in and we're infusing all of our ecosystem, whether it's the suppliers, our employees with the ability to make money, um, realize their aspirations and, um, and, and be part of what's coming next, which is what 11.2 is all about. And sure. so addressing that kind of capital flight, I think is another piece that we're, we're optimistic, cautiously optimistic that we're you know, with the successes going to, uh, going to be able to address. Yeah. And I think the other thing about it is 11.2 seems to put into physicality the saying, you know, put your money where your mouth is. If this is something that you really believe in and you're really trying to change the world and you're really trying to create companies that are going to change the world and they're going to do great things for our ecosystem and great things for our economy and just the people that live in on this earth, you're putting your money where your mouth is and you're saying, yes, we are going to put money behind that. And I think in a typical venture space, trying to get money for something that is has such a huge focus on the social uh, entrepreneurship aspect can be really challenging. So bringing it in seems to be kind of like that safe space for these ideas to really incubate and say like, okay, typical venture groups are not going to fund something like this. This is coming from in-house. This is an idea that we believe in. We're going to put our money behind and we want it to go out there and make a difference. So I think in terms of that venture builder space, there is definitely something to be said about the risk is still the same, but that first step, that really crucial step of getting people behind it and getting the funding behind it, especially you're already solving that problem. So I think that's huge. Yeah, we've taken it. And, and when we think about what we're doing, there's the bet, right? The old days of venture, you know, you can drive across the United States and the burger in New York is going to be generally the same as the burger in California. And so where is the venture? Well, the ventures turn inward, right? We, the venture comes from our minds now versus where we are geographically, but it's still venture. And that should lend itself to some degree of risk-taking and betting. And not just betting on the profit that comes with it, but the consequences of developing something amazing. And so as the managing partner and founder and my other partners within 11.2, what we've basically said is, and the technical phrase is a return of capital, what we've basically said is that, look, whatever, whatever money we raise going into 11.2, all the investors are going to get paid that money back before we get ours. And that's a return of capital preference. And so not only do we have to be able to make companies and generate uh, a return, 
what we have to generate in excess of what uh, has come in in order for us to get paid. And when you think about putting your money where your mouth is, across everything, like all of the different dimensions, whether it's how you make personally, how you make money, how you make money, um, how we deliver returns, and the types of companies that we create, I think all those, all that consistency needs to be there. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, it's. I think this this climate too is so. It's important that we're creating new things. Um, I think it's one thing to to criticize the system, and and you know, no matter how you you feel about the current system that we're in, it's you know, I think part of the freedom of this country and part of the amazing thing about this country is that we have the freedom to say, if this system's broken, we want to change it. And I'm going to argue against this system because I don't like it. Right. And so I think that that's an important part. But the other really important part is what you do after that point. If you want to Mm -hmm. criticize the system, if you want to say, we're going to point out these things that you need to be aware of because this is broken. On the other side of that, something needs to fill that space. And so both parts are so important is breaking it down and then building it back up. And it's, how are we going to change this? How are we going to make this better? And so I think we've seen a lot of the first stage. A lot of people are criticizing a lot of different things that they aren't happy with, with this country, which is, you know, part of the beauty of this country is if you don't like something, talk about it, change it. And then I think hopefully soon we're going to transition into that part where it's like, if that's how you feel, where do we go from there? And and how are we really going to have the biggest impact possible? Yeah. And when we think about where we're going to go from there, as humans, I don't think we've escaped our evolutionary biology, right? I don't think we've escaped our psychology, right? We were hunter-gatherers. We hunted in packs. We've always been a society to some degree, to every degree. And... You know, even though we've got social media out there, even though, you know, distance means something different than it did even 10 years ago, the fact of the matter is we still all have a human condition. We eat, we sleep, we have relationships, and then somewhere in that mix, we have dreams. And when we think about what those dreams are and what that self-actualization is, it's not, it's not what it was 10 years ago, 30 years ago. Now, how are we going to create what that next generation economy is? And is it going to be voluntarily based on petroleum or is it going to be voluntarily based on electric? And do we create one problem with hydroelectric dams for the flora and the fauna um, and yet solve another one uh, by you know, going with hydroelectric or geothermal power? These are all questions, these are all wonderful problems that we need to start answering right now. And I think that's the opportunity is to create this whole platform, you know, with our ambition of having 50 companies that come out of this space, each of those companies having a handful of employees and those employees learning something in their tenure hopefully a long tenure at each of those different portfolio companies. But that's a, that's a ripple effect that goes out into, into this space. And even though I'm in Chicago and the rest of my management team is in Chicago, the fact is our investors and our companies are all over the U.S. So, um, you know, to have that, you know, kind of broad systemic change is one of our ambitions. Sure. So we've talked about what you do and, and 11.2 Ventures. But how did it all begin for you, and where did you find this passion to do these things? Yeah, that's um, that's a great question. I had the inkling of this concept when I was eleven. I um, I remember reading. I was just I read um, so many fantasy and science fiction books that I think I just got sick of them, and. <laughs> It was like, wow, I, because what happened was the story patterns all started to repeat, right? It was either a coming-of-age story, it was this story, it was that story, right? Like someone's, you know, an abandoned princess, and then 20 years later they find they realize that they're the princess again, and, you know, there's a whole, like, I want my kingdom back, right? 
something like that, right? There, there were all these repetitive things, and I realized that, wait a second, the real world is so much more exciting than any fantasy, at least in my head at the time. Um, and I started to think, well, like, to what degree would this, to what degree am I living my own adventure? And to what degree can I take those things that when I was reading them seemed so exciting and turn them into actually my own science fiction story, right? And that was the genesis. All the way through college then, I started looking at, you know, the different systems and how things are made, how, you know, social interactions begin to happen, um, and what are the basis for societal change and for, um, and for technical change. And then uh, as I moved into corporate, I realized, wow, you know, there's so much capability and potential out there that, um, that I think can be harnessed more assertively. Uh, and and that, when that really clicked in my head, then um, that, was, that was when I left corporate and got into venture and got into uh, entrepreneurship and innovation. Sure. And you're also an author. So tell me about your book and what inspired you to write it. Sure. Um, so again, common theme uh, in my narrative here is science fiction. So the book is Ray Star of Terra. It's one of six. I finished, uh, the first book was published in 2016. I just finished book two and uh, I'm now laying down the, the format for book three. Um, it's about way, way in the future. Uh, there was a galactic war and uh, the humans lost. And so Ray Star, this 13 year old girl is alone, adopted on this planet. And what's fun, what's fun about I think the story was the juxtaposition of normal. So she grows up in this world where everyone is arguably different, but they're different from her. She's the minority. And so um, I get to play around with cool things like nanotech and like blow a whole bunch of stuff up. And so that, you know, feeds my need to blow stuff up. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you can't do it, you know, physically in terms of, of uh, being able to afford a bunch of explosives and, and the range and all that stuff, why not do it through a book? Spaceships, like if you can't have those, then you might as well just make it up, right? Exactly. Um, and so it's the story about her, it's a coming of age story, uh, and it's the story about how she discovers who she is while all these big uh, galactic um, conflicts are beginning to reemerge and people realize that the humans aren't actually fun. So uh, it's fun. It's really, a, it's an interesting escape. And, and to your, I think to your joke earlier, you know, if it's not ready yet, then you can have some fun with it because the Star Treks and the Flash Gordons and all the, the old science fiction, that's what, you know, really catalyzed some of the things that are coming out now, right? Um, right. possible. Uh, was what was dreamed about, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, right? And so um, maybe someone will be inspired by this and we'll have you know, something different 20 years from now or 30 years from now. So let's see. Yeah. But it's so, fun. Uh, the writing is fun. I've always enjoyed it. That's awesome. And how, so it seems like like we've we've talked about this theme of you really liking science fiction and and, you know, part of that narrative and where it's going with technology and things like that. How much does that go into what you're doing with 11.2 ventures in terms of, you know, we're talking about way in the future here. What are you laying the groundwork for and what would you like to be remembered for with 11.2 ventures? Each of these industries on some levels are the picks and shovels for managing our planet as well as managing other planets. You know, you think about waste reclamation. Someone's gonna need it on Mars. You think about climate management. We have unconsciously or um, irresponsibly managed our climate one way or another, 
but to be sure we did it right and so from that perspective if we did it then to what degree can we undo it and how do we fix these things because it's not only just fixing these things for us and our future generations but also if we don't figure out how to fix these things how can we go somewhere else and even create a new home right and so when we think about agriculture and when we think about clean tech and when or energy and when we think about smart manufacturing and life sciences and and even finance as an economic system all of these things in some way or another i hope will be part of the picks and shovels of of the next generation economy and so that's that's the that's the subtext for why those industries and also why um, you know why 11.2 ventures is you know let's let's get let's get up there let's do something different sure yeah there's also right now in this climate a lot of talk around capitalism and some of the positives and and they're focusing a lot on the negatives um, but what role do you think capitalism has to play in the way that these future generations are going to interact and you know is it is capitalism for the best for the worst where, where do you fall on that so we've had a number of different economic models over the thousands of years that we've been transacting with each other, starting with the barter system, right? Here's an egg, thank you very much for a piece of bread, whatever it is, right? And those have merged into these really complex forms, capital markets and, and you know, exchanges and you know, all sorts of different treaties and all these different ways that these massive economies are transacting. And I think what we're getting to as we've had, you know, communism, socialism, Marxism, capitalism as the as the one that has won out over the centuries. Um, I think we're finally getting to a stage where we're realizing that, well, sure, that's that that you can you can make the argument that the profit motive is in some ways hand in hand with self-actualization more money I make, the cooler stuff I can get, right? And more vacations I can go on, right? But you can also argue that if we don't take care of our citizens in some way, that we'll have things like the riots right now where you have such a um, disenfranchised community that arguably for you know a $24 trillion economy uh, and the largest in the history of the planet ever, um, we should be our <laughs> figuring out how to take care of. And so when we look at the role of capitalism, it's for sure an economic engine and a route to self-actualization and it funds or it, it's a pathway to, um, it's, a, it's a pathway for society to do stuff. On the other hand, now I think the, the perhaps the dawning right now of realization is that, you know, that's not enough. And when we think about response, responsible investing, and we think about how capitalism needs to also lend, uh, lend a hand or cast a thought towards, you know, the holistic system versus just um, making a lot of money, then I think capitalism is morphing. Uh, because under its current structure, um, it doesn't appear to be sustainable, at least from where I sit. Whether it's because we're going to create these huge, massive disenfranchised populations, or we're going to melt all the polar ice caps and all of us, 7 billion, 8 billion people are going to have to learn how to swim, right? And so one way or another, we have, we, we are forcing ourselves to change. Um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when you cram for an exam. You wait until the last minute, and what are we doing when we do that? We're creating these artificial deadlines. We've got some deadlines coming up. <laughs> right. So I think in uh, a, a very circular way, I think I'm saying, you know, there's definitely a role for capitalism. It's got to change. 
and this concept of I think responsible investing is part and parcel of it. Yeah, and I think you know, like you said, it 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 comes full circle really because it's that whole concept of putting your money where your mouth is. That concept of this company can't just kick ass for me and for the investors. It has to kick ass for everybody, you know. And it's that's not to say that private enterprise or businesses that you know, don't do like every single thing for other people are bad. But I think we're largely coming into understanding that if you want to be successful and really get people passionate behind what you're doing, there needs to be some role that your business plays in making the world a better place. And I think especially for massive companies, if you're, you know, well within your means to be able to do that, even better. Like the the impact that a company, say like Coke, or something like that uh, could have on the world just through you know how much money they make and their percentages that they give to charity and and you know businesses that they invest in and things like that. I think is huge. So for me, when we talk about like the role that capitalism has to play, when I hear people argue for things like socialism, I'm like, but you don't you don't get it though because without capitalism, a lot of these companies wouldn't exist and they wouldn't be able to give, you know, 3 million to revitalize this area or they wouldn't be able to give, you know, 50 to do this project or that project. And I think it's understanding that there's good parts and bad parts to it, but to throw the whole thing away because there's issues with it is it's, it's kind of part of like this whole culture of like, if it doesn't work, just get rid of it. And it's, we can change things about the way that the system works because we are the system. We work within inside the system and we're the biggest driver. So if one day everyone decides that, you know what, this isn't working perfectly for everyone or this isn't working how we would really like it to work, I'm going to work differently myself. And then I'm going to tell all my coworkers to work a little bit differently too and get people behind it, create a movement that changes the way that we do business. And I think if you can do that, you can't go wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 100%. Especially when we consider... I mean, these are complicated issues. You know, there's no, again, it goes back to the old I. Like, I could plant a flag and claim a territory at one point in time. And uh, I just saw a river runs through it. Um, and so I was thinking about that. And I can't do that anymore. At least um, if I can, I'm, I'm sure some people would be annoyed with me and probably come <laughs> out there. And... <laughs> And so the point is, we are so close to each other. We're all interdependent. The I has to interrelate and interoperate and, and cooperate with the we. Um, and, and I think that's the challenge of, of this coming you know, decade is how are, how are the I's and the we's going to get along um, economically? Uh, and and you know, what, is, what is that new, what is that new thing that, um, the parents of the future are going to make a living off of and raise their kids on, right? What is that new enterprise? Is it going to be, um, you know, the 19th century steel mills? Maybe, probably not, right? Is it going to be doing <laughs> other things, right? It will, and it'll involve, I think, software, and it'll involve a whole different type of, um, of, of world around us, hopefully, there. Sure. Yeah. And I think it's to, to continue on that, you know, this trend that we're seeing now is the companies that are doing well are bringing people together. And so I think it's a case study in two parts. And, and the two examples I would use uh, are Uber and Tom's, the shoe company. So if you talk about Uber, like Uber has tons of problems, but something that they did really, really well, other than completely disrupting the uh, the ride market is they did ride sharing. You can share a ride with other people that you don't know. And they're also making getting into somebody's car and just having a conversation more normal. Now, again, plenty of issues around that and they've had disasters, but I would say like on the whole per capita, what they've been able to do and, and facilitate, I would say is much more positive than negative. But then you can also look at going into something for the right reasons and something really bad happening. So like Tom's, the shoe company, when I was in middle school and high school, this was like 
the big thing, all the girls were buying Toms and doing all this stuff. And Tom's whole thing was that when you buy a pair of shoes, we're going to donate a pair of shoes to, you know, a village in Africa and these different tribes in Africa who don't have shoes. And it's, it's this emotional response that you get. And they're, you know, showing you video of these tribes in Africa or these, you know, poor people in Africa that are destitute. And you're like, I, why don't they have shoes? I have shoes. They should have shoes. These shoes are a little expensive, but then they're going to send a pair over there. And like, that's a great thing. And they did that, but they completely wrecked a huge part of the African economy because the people who made shoes in Africa are like, what the hell are you doing? Like, if everyone's just going to get a free pair of shoes because people in the United States decided that this was like the trend that they were going to hop on this time, like, I can't make any money because shoes are now free. And they had, you know, countless stories of, of you know, like villages or these areas would get delivered so many shoes that there was like too many for like the people there and they're just like, you know, laying out on the streets because it's like, what what do you do with with all of that? And you're flooding this market with all of this artificial growth, but it's actually not growth because it's, it's just giving it away for free. So I think, you know, there's a saying the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You have to have good intentions. You have to put your money where your mouth is and you have to think critically too about the impact that you're going to have. And, right. you know, it, it's shocking to me that where we are now, a, a model like that, there was no one in the boardroom that stood up or like when they were coming up with this idea and they're like, wait, but if we, if we give away a lot of shoes, the people who make shoes in that area, they're, they're going to go out of business. Wait, this doesn't work. Like, you know, so I just, I think it's, there's so many pieces involved, but I think what I like about what a lot of venture groups, uh, 11.2 included, are doing now is you're thinking critically, money where your mouth is, and you're like, let's like suss this out and let's let's try things out, see what we think is going to happen. Let's be analytical about everything. And when we release it to the market, we're going to keep a close eye on it. So I think that's the way that you can you can do no wrong is to have the good intentions to see through everything that you're going to try and do. And you know, there's always going to be something go- that goes wrong, but but thinking these things through, um, and maybe maybe it is that venture builder type of organization that things are coming from people who already understand this space. It's not necessarily someone who's new to growing a company or launching a company can help to weed out some of those ideas that could actually be pretty destructive. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the word that comes to mind is sustainability, right? And um, and you mix or you add responsible and sustainable together and you have this concept of responsible investing, right? And, um, and when you think about what that, what that means, it means something different in each particular category, wherever it's applied. There's no, um, there's no silver bullet for, you know, applicability. It's not like, oh, if all I do is eat broccoli, I'll be healthy forever. No, you should probably smoke less too. (laughs) Right. Exactly. so, there's no silver bullet to it's become so incredibly complicated that we need to be aware as we're taking our action, as we're building our different companies for what the interrelationships I think are, as well as, you know, um, looking at, you know, diversity and making sure we're representing all the different voices uh, because that in your Tom's example, that economic model here was very successful but that economic model there was not successful. You know, and on the one hand, Uber disrupted all the taxi systems and the medallions. And on the other hand, it gave, it gave people who were unemployed, it gave students, it gave people who just wanted to make a new, uh, a new life or come to, you know, move into a city and say, oh, you know, I'm just gonna couch surf and I'm gonna drive Lyft and Uber, right? And I'm gonna do those two things. Um, it just created an opportunity to make money for so many other people. And money is an enabler. It, it, at a functional level, it gives you the ability to buy food. <laughs> it gives you the ability to, you know, put a roof over your head. And so genuinely, it's important. And, and democratizing that ability to make money, I think, is really important. And you see that trend quite a bit with... Um, 
with even the democratization of funding, you know, like all the crowdfunding platforms that are that are proliferating right now um, are phenomenal, right? How, and to be able to do that, to be, you know, we have, um, we have someone who on our, on our, one of our interns actually, who's created this phenomenal pillow product and um, it's, it's taking off, right? And they're in high school. So the ability to democratize innovation and get it out into the hands of the people, I think is really uh, next gen. I think that's what's happening right now. Um, and no longer is it, you know, is innovation, either innovation or funding, uh, at least I would hope, is in, the, is in the hands of, you know, only the big institutions. And that, you know, that flight of capital that I was referring to earlier is one of the things that we're trying to solve for, is to create a prototype that says, hey, look, this is a way of getting capital into those early stage ideas that even when they exit the 11.2 ecosystem, still early stage companies and they're going to take on other attributes, but they're going to employ a lot of people. And those people are going to learn how to innovate by the very fact that they're coming into that early stage company. So, you know, again, it's an, it's the, there's no silver bullet. It's you got to do one thing to address three things and you have to do three things. <laughs> So it's uh, it 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 would be it would be silly to think that we can just solve our problem by saying you know I um, this is the way when in fact there's multiple ways. So sure, totally agree. Hey Kurt, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, and I uh, enjoyed our conversation. Ben, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Absolutely. All right, and that is going to do it for our episode today with Kurt Johnson. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned a little bit more about a venture builder studio and how everything goes into that to finally deliver the finished product of a company through another company. I thought it was really interesting. Please let me know if you found it interesting. Uh, You can go to our website at www.totspodcast.com. You can also find all of our episodes pretty much on every single streaming service. Uh, mainly Spotify. That's where we get most of our listens. So check us out there. We're also on most social media at TotsCast. So look us up. We can also be found on Patreon if you want to support the podcast at www.patreon.com forward slash TotsPodcast. I really hope you enjoyed this. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.